Hi, I'm Randy Kleiner. And I'm Kaylee Smith-Westbrook. As the co-founders of Series Fest, we welcome you to Breaking In, a Series Fest podcast. In 2015, Series Fest began its mission to champion and empower artists at the forefront of episodic storytelling by providing year-round opportunities for creators and industry experts to connect, collaborate, and share stories. We are thrilled to expand our mission with this podcast as we talk to working professionals in television and gain insight, advice, and hear their journey of breaking in. Today, I'm speaking with Claire Taylor. A proud member of Series Fest since 2015, Claire currently serves as the Director of Programming, where she oversees all programming for the annual festival, including our independent series competitions, as well as our year-round initiatives and professional development opportunities. Before joining the Series Fest team, Claire focused on applying her passion for storytelling through producing theater and television for Triptych Studios based in New York City. Hi, Claire. Hi, Kaylee. I'm so excited for this conversation. Me too. I feel like it's just been years in the making that we <laughs> finally sit down and do this. It has because I was trying to figure out what year we actually met, but then I was thinking, well, we're going into season eight, but you've been on the programming team since season one. That's very true. So that was all the way in 2015. Oh my God. So remember that. <laughs> how many independent pilots and independent like web series do you think at this point you've actually watched? Oh my gosh. Well, probably like close to a thousand watched and maybe more read, um, just depending on, you know, my growth in this organization, I kind of see mm -hmm. fewer and fewer as I head up the department more and the review team grows. Um, but yeah, I feel like I, I it's probably close to a thousand at yeah, least. I was going to say, we, like, we've definitely had more than a thousand submissions in eight years, but that makes yeah. sense because you're yeah. not watching. We have a review team, which is kind of what I, what, what I want to get into too. But, um, for people that don't know what your role is as director of programming, I'd love for you to just talk about everything you oversee and do because we are a small and mighty team and you do a lot in the organization because we have a lot of different programs running all the time. So um, tell us what you do at Series Fest. Well, first of all, I would say that my, my duty has since from day one been to do my best to bring the creative vision that you and Randy have put into the heart and soul of this festival. So a lot of what I do is say yes. And, uh, to that. you and Randy being the, <laughs> being the great improv team that we are. Um, and so I oversee all of our independent content competitions for the festival, which includes the independent pilot competition, digital short series, late night, um, and now we have pilots in progress. And then of course the storytellers initiative writing competition. And then we've grown even more into year round things. And so I also oversee the women directing mentorship with Shondaland, the uh, executive elevation mentorship program, spotlight your town, which is our new initiative with national geographic and visible. Um, and also for the festival, putting together 
what I think might be interesting panel conversations um, to keep our community engaged and give our industry that we we so often point to as leaders um, a platform to speak on and to inspire all of the independent creators. I think that is what I do in a nutshell of of what Series Fest actually is. So basically, you don't sleep. <laughs> I don't there there is a rumor I don't sleep because I also love watching so much TV and I feel like part of this job is to know what's going on so I watch everything I listen to everything content is king as they say Were you always like that watching television because you have a theater background I do. Yeah. I think I've always been that way with things that are on screen. It's so accessible. And I grew up in Colorado where there's definitely theater, but not necessarily like once I moved to New York, I didn't, you know, even dream that I would ever have the access to the theater that I did. Mm. Um, So I definitely focused on film and television and watching things on repeat. I think when you grew up in the eighties and nineties and you had VHS tapes, you would watch Jurassic Park a million times in a way that people don't now. You kind of right. watch it once and then move on. So, yeah. Well, I don't know because I still watch. I watched four episodes of Friends last night. So, like, nothing has changed since, like, 1994 Same. for me. <laughs> uh, I actually just got a box of stuff from high school that my mom sent to me. And I found a journal that was, like, one of those you fill out. And I thought I hadn't filled out most of it. But I, like, was flipping through. And it was like, what are your favorite TV shows? And literally... It said, like, uh, it said Friends. I think it said 90210. I was like, really? I wrote 90210. But I'm like, what year did I write this? But I'm like, if you ask me now what my favorite show is, is Friends. So, um, but yes, we are more likely now to just watch something and and move on. Okay, we're talking about New York. You So you lived in Colorado, and then you moved to New York to pursue theater, film, television. What What were you wanting to do? To pursue theater, um, I went to theater school in Greeley at UNC in Colorado, um, and I was in the theater arts program, and my emphasis was in musical theater and in education. The education part, because my parents were basically like, have a backup uh, right. when this doesn't work out. Most parents are like, you're going to be a star. No, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I love you, mom and dad. Um So, but I decided that before I could really teach, I had to go and at least try myself. So I sold my car. I moved to New York. I'd never been there before. Um, And it was kind of terrifying, but in the best way possible. And I got there and I knew I wanted to do something in theater, but I just kind of felt more and more disheartened about being on the stage and was feeling more drawn to the creative development and casting and the producing side of theater. So I just leaned in to get any internship I could um, and including um, ones at talent agencies. And I worked at a recording studio, a hip hop recording studio for oh, a while. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> oh yes. It was called Fight Club um, with a K. I was, I very much stuck at, stood out, but I, I learned a lot. Um, and then finally, I got an internship at Playing Pretend Productions and B. Swibel Presents, which is how I got to meet you, Kaylee. So yes. it, all, it all fell the right way. It did. Everything just aligned. And then you moved back to Colorado, right? I think right at the time we were starting Series Fest. It was just like coincidence um, that that happened that we, well, not coincidence that we chose Denver. 
you chose Denver <laughs> for many for specific reasons, but then you had moved back and it was just great because uh, right away you were like, let, let me help. And I was like, great. We don't know what we're doing, but yes, help. No, we did know yeah. what we were doing, but um, you, you definitely did. And you gave me exactly what was at my skill set of the storytellers initiative mm. to run a script writing competition that results in a live read that was right up my theater vein and um, could hit the ground running and only knew you on the team. So it was a great way to get to know everybody else. That's so crazy to think about our storytellers initiative the first year. Um, because it, it, the program has really evolved and every year we've, we've sh not every year we've shifted partners, but we have had different partners and we've figured out that our first year, our live read, we did three pilots that we read at series fest, which is just crazy for anyone in theater to know what it takes to put on a reading and our director, Portia Winshalati, didn't we make him direct all three, all three. And it was like the ca same cast. It was like an oh, anthology right. series. And we moved everybody into different roles in all three. And I think most of the pilots that year were probably 30 to 45 minutes. They were. So it was yeah. not a short program. No. At all. It, it was it was long. It was at the Denver, Denver Center for Performing Arts. They were so lovely. They partnered with us um, and they gave us a beautiful theater. Um, but uh, oh, we should do that for season 10. Like I, <laughs> I have dreams for season 10, like especially with how everything has been in the past year and a half, like this big blowout at Red Rocks, this big like let's let's do a bunch of live an anthology series live read. Woo. I mean, only <laughs> if we get Sherwin back, because it really takes a certain mind to be able to tackle three different stories and do it all in that time period, especially since it's not like we had weeks of rehearsal like you would. We had like one day of rehearsal. <laughs> one day of rehearsal. And nobody's ever met before. That's all coming right. from all over the world to play these roles. And it, you definitely have to just know how to create that community right then and there. And that was awesome to watch him do his thing. Yeah. By the way, if you're listening and you haven't heard uh, Sherwin Shalati's episode yet, go listen to it because um, since season one, he has become a successful television director and is directing so much TV and I'm just so proud of him. And he had a lot of really cool things to say. So go listen to that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so storytellers really has grown and changed. So talk to me about this year, about what just happened with this past year and our partner for storytellers. Yeah, we just finished a cycle and by just, I feel like the summer has gone by so fast. We definitely finished up the cycle in late May. Um, so it's it's been a bit um, with Propagate Content um, and they selected a script called Fuck Summer's Over. And we are um, so thrilled. And uh, Corey, who is the writer and creator of this project, he actually uh, got to know Series Fest through the Executive Elevation Mentorship Project program, which is a mentorship program for people of color to connect with established leaders of color in the television industry. Um, and really the only role Series Fest plays in this is the matchmaking and the, the admin facilitating. And we let, you know, the mentors and mentees establish their relationship and how their mentorship really works. Um, and so that was really cool to see him come up through this program and get hired, get management, and then resubmit for Storytellers Initiative and end up winning the development deal with Propagate Content. So it's kind of magic to see, you know, as you even mentioned with Sherwin, all of these success stories 
come in different degrees, but mm. there's so much to be proud of, of how different creators have moved through our organization to achieve ultimate goals. Will you tell me a little bit about, uh, or tell us a little bit about the lab? Because I think that's also um, changed over the years. We used to be able to do a lab in person, but this year uh, it was virtual. But t tell me, because that's part of the program as well for storytellers. Yeah. So for storytellers, it's definitely one of my favorite programs because it's more than just the exhibition. It's more than just the grand prize of the development deal or the live read. We select um, three semifinalists to go through a lab with this year it would be with Propagate Content. In the past, it's been with other partners like Elysium Bandini Studios and Yay Big Productions. Um, and they help us to structure this lab where it's over three days. We do live table reads, and this is all invite only, very you know closed off, so that we can give these writers feedback, see how they work in the room, um, and and really kind of test without really like openly testing their skills and readiness for this huge opportunity. But what also results in it is so much professional growth and professional development for these writers who've never been able to have their script read out loud by other people. So many writers are writing and they've never heard these jokes out loud. So to be able to hear them and wow, this one landed or whoa, this one only really worked for me in the moment. And here's an opportunity for you to tweak it. It's also um, an opportunity for us to bring in uh, mentors. So we bring in a showrunner. We bring in um, what we like to call staff writers, but these are professional television writers that fill out the room. Um, and when we get to do it in person, it's great. It's very community bonding. But I think what happened this year in a virtual sense is we were able to make some pretty big asks for some writers and showrunners to come in um, who it's a smaller um, com time commitment than dedicating three whole days in person to just do a few hours a day and they can kind of balance out with their other work as well. Um, so it was really wonderful this year. And we also invite um, alumni who have gone through our writing competitions to join that lab. Um, and I think the writers uh, lab for storytellers also influences a lot of our other mentorships for writers, like the writer's room we do with Unreal Media. Very similar structure, filling out the room with both established industry and emerging talent so that then something new happens, a voice gets lifted up, and also uh, you you feel this uh, really sense of an education that's happening and and it's just an incredible thing to witness. <laughs> That's awesome. I've always loved that program and I always loved sitting in on the labs. And I think also what's so great too um, are just the relationship building that happens between like the writers and also just meeting a showrunner or meeting them. And um, yeah, because I mean, the more I talk to people for the podcast, everyone always says that it comes back to relationships, right? So yeah. Um, not necessarily who you know, but like who you stay in touch with, who you connect with, the community you build. And so this really is another way to just build your community. Definitely. And I think, and maybe I'm partial to storytellers. If this <laughs> podcast maybe should have like the subheading of like Claire loves storytellers. But I think I've learned a lot from that program that I, I put into other programs. And that, that includes even how we um, evaluate uh, our official selections and getting to know 
these independent pilots, these digital series, the late night selections on a, a little bit more of a personal level from the programming standpoint, because our ultimate goal is that you make an industry connection at the festival or through a festival program that takes you on a next step, whether it's with the project you have been selected with or as you as a creator, director, writer, editor, whatever it may be. Um, So I think that what we've learned through so many labs has now been applied to our festival expositions. I love that. So talk about submissions for a second, about what it is you really are looking for. Um, let, let's let's start though with, um, well, since we we're just talking about storytellers, let's, let's talk about scripts. So script submissions, whether it's, you know, the woman writing competition, storytellers, any of them, what is it that when you're reading a script you look for and grabs you? And also what are some mistakes people make that I'm sure uh, that happens? So what is it that you see that maybe is like a red flag that wouldn't get someone to the finals? Yeah. Um, I think one really important thing for any submission from storytellers through independent pilots, it's maybe unique to what we ask for is our series format deck. Um, because the series potential needs to be super clear. And sometimes that's hard to, uh, get into one pilot episode. So, um, I think the series format deck is really where you can prove your characters, where you can include a lot of exposition. And I think when I'm reading scripts and if the first, you know, say 10 pages out of 30 are all exposition and there's no action and I'm not understanding what the reason is I'm like really reading this because it's all just history. Uh, It doesn't, it's hard to keep pushing through because you, you kind of, um, I think what we see a lot since Breaking Bad really is more and more in television, you're dropped into a character's world and you start to learn what's happening as you follow them on their day-to-day journey. Um, And you see this in Game of Thrones. I mean, it's kind of everywhere now. I think that that's a big success tool. And I also think it's a really great way to show your writing skills if you're able to not rely on exposition to uh, prove that you are telling the right person to tell the story. Um, And I think that's also another big red flag or green flag is why are you telling this story? Are you the right person to tell this story? Um, And that can come both in the series format deck when you get to have a creator statement, but also in in showing that you've done your research, that you're presenting um, a story that has structure to it, a a story that has character and intent. Um, And that can be from historical uh, facts to just, you know, a, a period of like the nineties. Um, that's one of my favorite things about fuck summer's over that just one for storytellers initiative is it's, it's a total period throwback piece to the nineties and it makes it so accessible because it was well-researched and well-presented, um, and doesn't make it feel alienating that if you didn't grow up, then you wouldn't understand it, but it still makes it fun, um, and specific to the character choices. I think that's um, also just such great advice being saying, why are you telling the story? Because whether it's um, a submission for a festival or what someone's actually looking for in the room when you pitch, like that was 
one of the things Jeremy Gold said on our first podcast that I did when I interviewed him, he said, you know, sometimes you have a, you know, a great pitch, but it's not the right person telling the story. Like who's, who's the right person to tell this story? Um, and also he also said like, are we the right people to, you know, be taking out into the world? Mm -hmm. But, um, that really goes across the board, whether you're submitting, you know, to series fest, any other festival, any program. Um, so I, I love that you just brought that up. And I think you can tell right away. Um, it's probably one of the easiest things to pick up on. And I, what I've also loved that I've seen in the past few years is that that I've seen producers who aren't necessarily the right person to tell the story, hire the right people to tell the story, mm. hire the writers, hire the right directors and put the right people in front of the camera so that they can still be a part of changing a narrative or breaking a stereotype or whatever that is um, that's important to them without taking on like everything themselves and really relying on them as a family, as a team to tell the right story. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. I think, um, I, I think that makes sense that, you know, if you, if you have a passion for something, but you aren't the right person necessarily to be to the one driving it, like surround yourself with people who, who are, and, you know, still make it happen. Yeah. It's not like you have to just write what you know, you know, Exactly. Because otherwise, a lot of things would just all be about living with your college roommate freshman <laughs> year. <laughs> totally. Totally. Um, let's go to IPC. Is there anything that you really look for? Is it about production quality? Is it about character? What What is it now in season eight? Um, I would definitely say production quality is big because we're going to show it on the big screen. Mm. And that's just the reality is that it has to uh, be able to shine and, and stand out. And I think we're also just all used to the quality also of watching things on our computers and phones anymore. So yeah. production quality is big, um, but I wouldn't say that it's the deal breaker. I think it's the story uh, that is really very important. I think it's pacing. Is, is something I really look for. Um, if certain scenes are dragging, if the beginning feels way too fast, and then all of a sudden everything for your like last 20 minutes is, is drawn out, that's something that you can really feel as an audience member. And I think because I do watch so much can affect me um, because I can, it's almost like you wanna feel the rhythm of a pilot right away. Um, that's probably one of the bigger things I look for. And I also think just the diversity and perspective, you know, what do they say? There's only seven stories, but there's how many different ways to tell these seven stories. So it's all about what you as a creator are actually bringing to the table. Anybody can tell the story of the Wizard of Oz, but what is Claire's version or Kaylee's version of the Wizard of Oz and why is it important to tell? Um, that that definitely sticks out as one of the things I evaluate at the final round of I, independent pilots. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's great. And I think what's so great too about um, something that we've really from year one is we've never had a quota of numbers uh, when programming. It's always been you know what's every year the amount of IPC or you know, digital shorts changes uh, based on, you know, what's submitted and and what really belongs in competition. 
versus feeling like, oh, we have, we said we we're only doing 30. So we're just have to cut something because we have 31. Right. Yeah. I think that that's a super important thing um, because I think it's all about the quality for us um, and not necessarily hitting a quantitative thing. Although weirdly, I should mention it's been about 16 digital shorts ever since we opened up for digital really? shorts and never on purpose. Oh, that's it's so funny. always just like a weird rounded out number. I don't know if it just feels right for all the different perspectives we can cover or the blocks. It's never on purpose, but it's it's always around the same number versus independent pilots and late night have shifted drastically uh, depending on the, the submissions. <laughs> That's so interesting. It's so crazy to think when we first started in 2015, we didn't have a digital short section because we were very much, I don't, I mean, maybe at the time too, people called them web series. Yeah. You know, if you think about how much the, in the industry has really changed. Um, and we were really focused on, you know, the 30 minute or hour content. And now, well, even a few years later, how, how many years have we been doing digital shorts? Did we start it in season four, season three? Season three. Season so three, we started we'll, them. Yeah. yeah. So we're going into our fifth season of digital shorts. Yeah. Just how in those, you know, two and a half years, three years that it, that it shifted and it was like, we need to just really be highlighting these shorter stories um, that are still episodic, which I think also is... Uh, something maybe you can touch on because I'm sure you guys still get submissions from people that are like short films and they're like, oh no, it's, you know, it's a digital short or something. So how, <laughs> how, how can you call someone's bluff? Maybe it's a series format, but we, we do not do short films. We do not do short films. Um, and I do think where we get the most confusion is in digital short series mm. because you can submit up to 20 minutes of content as long as the episodes themselves are under 15. Um, and no matter how many times I say that, I have to say it again. So happy to do so. Um, and it is, you hit the nail on the head. It's the series format deck, right? There's yeah. so many short films that we'll see and they'll have been awarded at other festivals. And if we get a deck that doesn't explain what episode two looks like, what a season arc looks like, what the intent of this pilot is, it just can't really qualify. And to be honest, we can tell pretty quickly when they're the difference between a short film and mm. a series. And that is something that we argue about a lot when we do have our <laughs> review, review meetings. Um, it's a lot of arm wrestling um, because it's really easy to fall in love with a short film story and see a lot of potential there. But if the creator isn't clear about that, then it kind of just comes across as, well, I'm submitting this to any festival. And yeah. I would uh, strongly advise any creator to be very specific with where you're submitting your pilot or your short film or your web series or your feature to. Um, do your research, read the guidelines, read through all of what the organization is really doing and what their goals are, because that will help you much more than just the wide smattering of laurels or, um, you know, just submission dollars going to the wrong organization where they're not going to read your application because 
you didn't do your due diligence. Right. Uh, and and we 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 don't see that much of it anymore. But I think when we were coming into our own and um, really kind of challenging people to do this series format deck, we you know that's definitely something that became a strong point for us. Yeah, I think the series format. Well, we had a version of it in season one. We just didn't call it a format, but we had some kind of document that we had yeah. to show to that would say like this is clearly um, a series and and not a short. So submissions are now open. Why should someone submit to Series Fest? People should submit. People creators creatives should submit to series fest because we are more than just a exhibition platform. Um, we are truly a organization that curates experiences for you as, um, directors, writers, uh, producers, actors to take steps forward in your career and to champion the independent, spirit that goes into all of these submissions. Um, we have not only all the initiatives that are year round that I've mentioned that are great ways to engage with your community and uh, sharpen your professional development skills, but when you become an official selection at Series Fest, you're going to be put into marketplace meetings. You're going to have curated experience with your programming lead, with uh, someone on the Series Fest staff to help to take those next steps forward. And it's my experience that those festivals are pretty rare, um, that you're doing more than just showing up and getting a great Instagram pic and some press, that you're really there to get to work. It's almost like a launch of a business mm. um, and less of uh, just a screening with your family and friends, which are also really fun and important. And we will make it really fun when you get here. Um, totally worth the trip to Denver. Yeah, totally worth the trip. But I think you just touched on something actually really important, which is also the difference between a, a lots of times the film festival and television festival. Not saying that film festivals don't set up meetings for you, but usually when you have a film and you're at a festival, you're you're trying to get distribution, right? And usually you have a sales agent and you have something that you're ready to go sell. Where in what we've really learned too, and you know the television industry is, you're not just going to go sell the pilot and someone's going to buy it and put it on a platform. There are people that are licensing, right? We've heard those stories, you know, yep. with Generation 4K and um, uh, James and Steven um, with everyone's doing great. So there are those stories, but mostly it's you're meeting someone you're, you're developing or they're developing another project with you because of what they just saw and what you really do. And one of the things we started oh my gosh, was it season four, season five, which is the marketplace and the roundtables. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe you can go into exactly what that is. because So you become a, an official selection and yep. then you come to the festival. You not only have these screenings, you not only have these panels where you're hearing like these amazing, you know, industry folk talk about what's happening in the industry, but you're also getting one-on-one -on -one time with people through these programs that we set up. So tell me about those. Yeah, you, you get into Series Fest and you're going to get a, a very exciting letter with lots of information and it, it's going to feel daunting, but it's important to read all this information because part of that is going to be a survey that our creators fill out before they even get on boots on the ground at the festival that really 
starts us as a programming team, uh, our journey of getting to know you and your goals for your series, for yourself, where you are um, with management and where you see yourself in four years, any creative things that are super uh, important to you, and maybe anything you're working on coming up next. And all of that information really does influence who we bring into our workshops, um, which are offered exclusively to our official selections, um, including the industry roundtables. So those are kind of speed dating. You're getting to know specific organizations, um, other festivals, uh, agents, PR. We bring in, a, uh, I think, I've done 10 and it's kind of a wild rodeo of moving people around, but there's a lot of fun energy to it. Um, and it, it's a great way to dip your toe into um, getting a little bit used to the inner energy of the fast moving world of entertainment. Um, and then we also curate break rooms for every official selection. So you will get um, assigned to a group to meet with a production studio or network um, to learn about their goals. And that actually, I feel like this is just going to hit on all the greatest hits of, of the breaking in podcast, but <laughs> yeah, I, the idea from, for the break, break rooms actually came from David person, um, who had been, you know, in his role at IFC, going to a lot of different festivals and marketplaces. And he and I sat down and had a discussion about what was beneficial and what was not beneficial to him. And something that he pointed out was the differences between all of these different companies, their uh, development process changes. And it's, you know, there's mandates, there's uh, the 2020 mandate versus the 2019 mandate, there's staffing, mm -hmm. there's so much that goes into it that as a creator, when you're going in a pitch, you may not know. And it is something that you need to try to be aware of if you can. And so by getting into these break rooms, you get kind of a behind the scenes of what it's like to work for CBS, for IFC, HBO, um, Amazon. And they also, whoever is hosting these break rooms, has the opportunity to watch your content and get to know you and read that same survey before they come to the room. So they may have questions for you. We saw a lot this year, uh, Propagate Content came into their break room and said, I would like to meet with this project, this project, and this project. And my, you know, my assistant's gonna be reaching out to them separately. And it's a really cool way to make the first little connection because it's a long-term, long, like, it's yeah. a relationship. This is not going to happen where you go on your first date and you move in together and they meet your parents and you're getting married the next day. This is going to be a longer process and more likely they're more interested in investing in you and getting to know you as a creator before they're going to buy your script or buy your pilot. I think you just said that so well and so perfectly. And it's so hard as a creator to hear that because we have we, you know, we have our babies and we're like, I put my heart and soul and so much money and raised so much money for this project. And I just want to see it on television. But I think it's such a great reminder that, you know, it, this is long-term building relationships and really understanding that it's about you, the creator versus the project in television. It's, I think it's very different than film and it's a hard lesson. It's a hard lesson to learn. 
I think. And I, I wish someone had given me that advice back in 2009 when I was doing my web series, Marry Me. Um, I mean, the industry was clearly very different there uh, and then, but I feel like I said no to some opportunities because I was like, they're going to take this project away from me or, um, you know, I... I really just want it to be about this and I don't, I, you know, or not writing other things. I mean, I eventually did write other things. Um, but I think I gave the power away to the project versus understanding the power was me. And I think yeah. that that's like really important for all the creators to understand that when at Series Fest, we're programming your content, it's really about you, right? It's yes. about you, the writer, the director, the producer that, yeah, Yes, we're showing your work and we clearly love your work, but it's it's about you and really owning that. But you also help program the pitchathon. Our many mm -hmm. pitchathons throughout the year because we've done them with South by Southwest. We do them at the festival. Tell me about the pitchathon. Well, okay, so how the pitchathon works is that if you have an idea, you submit a five minute pitch video and a series format deck and a script if you have it. Um, and then you are selected as an official selection and you go through a workshop with the working artist group and Krista Gaino and her, her company um, that are actually based in Denver. They put all of our creators through a I think it's like a, a two day kind of intensive. It's not necessarily back to back um, where she really exercises your pitch muscles. Uh, Krista actually used to be the executive director at the Groundlings in LA. So she's really a wonderful performance coach and that's so much of pitching. Um, and so then on the other side of these pitch mentorship programs, you get five minutes to pitch to a panel of jurors. Um, and these are studio network and uh, production company execs, and they give you feedback for seven minutes in front of a live audience. It's a very daunting experience. It is a hundred percent, not how pitching goes mm, <laughs> in the real yeah, world. Yeah. Um, but it is fun to watch for the audience and also fun to experience a different side of your brain to really exercise what is the core of your story and what is actually going to catch someone's attention. Um, and I think I've learned the most about series uh, evaluation from mm. listening to these jurors give this feedback and how they're really analyzing the pilot's potential, the series potential, the creator's potential. You know, we see creators do really well on the performance side, but then they forget half their characters or maybe, you know, their main story arc isn't clear because they got too stuck kind of giving the showmanship. Right. Um, so it's really fascinating to watch. And like you mentioned, we do them um, in partnership with South by Southwest. We did one last year virtually with the Oklahoma Film Commission. And we got to hear regional uh, pitches there. And it's a great program. We're really excited to continue to grow it. And this year, the prize package has grown a bit to also include uh, the official selections will also be eligible to participate in a writer's room with oh, Unreal that's Media. awesome. So See, I even learn things really about fun. my organization when I interview my staff. <laughs> <laughs> really, that's happening too? No, that's happening too. <laughs> oh my God, sometimes, you know, we started you know, 
is such a small organization. We still are, but we've grown so much. We have so many programs and I'm not uh, currently on staff. I um, am the co-founder and um, sit on the board and yeah, I'm doing the podcast and there's many things I still work with Randy and you on, but I'm not on staff. So I miss right. little details like this. So this is so exciting. I love it when I get like nice emails with like updates like that. And like, there's, there's just more opportunities um, for everyone. Like that's what just makes me so happy and makes all of the, the work and sweat and tears from the first, you know, five years <laughs> I was on staff. <laughs> Worth it. about the last two years. We'll say all seven years. All seven have, years. Have no, yes, of tears. course I've done. Yes, yes, there have been, and I've definitely done a lot of work. But, uh, but it's 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 different work now, which is which is great because, you know, stepping back from being on staff was a really difficult decision because I love this organization so much, um, but it gave me space to like think about other things to grow and do within the organization. And that's how the podcast happened, right? Because I, for years, kept saying, we need a podcast. We need a podcast. I want to do a podcast. But I didn't have the time, the bandwidth to do it. And then all of a sudden, when I left the staff and I had more time, actually, to focus on my creativity and my writing, I was like, oh, you know what I really miss about Series Fest is I really miss talking to people. Like, that's what I miss because at the festival and also – when you're programming the festival, all I did all day was talk to different executives and agents and managers. Even if it wasn't on the phone, it was on email. And I was just connecting with people all the time. And so I'm super grateful that we're doing this podcast because um, I don't feel like a loner sitting in my house anymore. <laughs> you know, and being a one man show. <laughs> well, and maybe I felt your pain of, 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 of being disconnected the most over the past two seasons. Yeah. And I'm just so looking forward to a lot of things about being in person. But like you said, that, that connecting and talking to people and hearing people laugh and hearing, Oh, I was just crying so hard. That pilot moved me so much, or this Q and A mm. was so incredible. And kind of remembering the that spirit really does yeah. live within all of us. And that, like I was kind of, I think I maybe missed the point of that there's only seven stories to tell, but really it's all about like hitting those nerves, you know? It no, I be, think you hit it. Yeah, I, thought, okay. I knew what you were saying, but I also <laughs> went to theater school and, you know, which book is it where they say there's only seven stories and, um, yeah. yeah. I, Randy and I always talk about this moment from season one you know, we were so in it and like building this organization and the festival was only three days in 2015. And there's, there was this moment where we were, um, on the stairs at the Sea Film Center, which is where we host all of our screenings. And we looked out and the, the lobby was just buzzing and there were so many people and you looked over and I saw Randy Zisk, this, uh, you know, television director who's done so much TV talking to a creator. And, and I was just like, oh my God, like this is so awesome. So yeah. as great as uh, the virtual has been in connecting more people, and we've had people more all over the world um, be able to connect in. And um, thank God we didn't have to shut down the organization and, and not yeah. be able to still support creators during this time. I'm like, I'm so excited for next year too to, to be back in person um, and to just, yeah, make those connections, um, and, and have that moment too. Oh, when you were talking just a second ago, like every year there's always one or two pilots that people 
walk out of the theater like that everyone's talking about. They just get that rush where everyone can't <laughs> stop talking about something. And that moment of, especially when you're programming, seeing what what really connects with people, because also when you're programming, you're so deep into it and you fall in love with every project for different yeah. reasons. So... Yeah. It's always interesting when I fall in love with something that no one else gets. And then, <laughs> uh, and then I get some sort of gratification because there's like one juror that really loved it as much as me. And I yeah. get to watch them like go to, you know, to work for it. But, oh man, it, it really is just so subjective. And yeah. I think it, it would not be as successful as it is if we didn't have that team reviewing process mm. where everybody really does have a voice in the room and um, everyone's bringing so much of their own history and experience into storytelling. Yeah. Uh, because I got to tell you, I don't always agree with Randy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I definitely don't miss those uh, review calls. Um, because we've always had people on the team that have, you know, that's, that's why you have a team though, is everyone has you know, different perspectives. And this is actually a really good point too for people who have been in festivals who maybe like haven't won awards um, or feel like only things will happen if you win awards. I was on the jury of Denver Film Festival um, in 2018. It was 2018. I think so. 2017. I don't know. I was, I was on the jury at some point. And the one we awarded is not the one. I mean, I do think about that that film. I was on the documentary jury, um, but there's another film I think about all the time, and I don't remember why we sat there as a group and just decided it was a really hard decision. Maybe we gave an honorable mention. I don't remember, but I do know that the one that was awarded, um, I do think about and impacted me. But there was another one, so I think that you just never know how your work is going to touch someone or someone's going to think about, you know, your work down the line. And, um, and so don't be defeated if you don't walk away with an award, because I think really the award, as cheesy as that sounds, the award is getting programmed and being an official selection, but it, it, yeah. it is, you know, and it's, the, and it's what you make of the festival too, and how you choose to connect with people. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I mean, so many of the creators that I keep in most touch with and I'm seeing go on to do other great and amazing projects didn't necessarily win an award. They were just uh, selected for the, the the festival. And so it was how they came. It was the attitude that they brought. Uh, it was how organized they were and their um, keeping in touch with people afterwards that really has taken them other places. And, you know, it's, it's a small window of time to, to, like I said, start those long-term relationships. Mm. And that is what we can be our greatest facilitators for is offering that little creak in the door, you know, to, to encourage you to push it open yourself. Well, two things before we hop off. The okay. first, the first thing is guys, submissions are open. So that's true. And we should yeah. also mention we have new festival dates. Oh, we have new festival dates. Okay. Give so, give the news. <laughs> May, May 5th through the 11th of Yay. 2022. So please come to Denver. It's beautiful that time of year. Okay. So new festival dates, submissions are open. Go to our website, seriesfest.com. Um, and you can see we have IPC, digital shorts, late night, Am I missing anything that's open? Uh, Pitchathon. Pitchathon. And then 
not on festival circuit, but also really exciting is the Spotlight Your Town initiative, which is open for submissions through the start of November. Um, and we are looking specifically for unscripted doc series ideas that focus on social and political justice issues in the US. So it's not only just a really exciting content to be challenged to create, but our friends at National Geographic will be awarding the finalist $20,000. Oh my God, that's amazing. Our friends at Visible will be matching a $10,000 grant to a nonprofit organization that matches the, the subject matter of the final uh, selection. So it's very, it's probably our biggest, you know, prize that we've had. And it's also a really impactful program. That's awesome. So go submit. And if you have nothing to submit for this year, make sure you sign up for our, um, newsletter. So, you know, because we do have other programs, our women directing mentorship, we've done three years of with Shondaland. We have, um, our storytellers, which we've mentioned, we've done for eight years. We have collegiate programs. We didn't even get to the collegiate programs. Oh my God, I'm going to have to like interview Neil next about education. So my last and final question before we hop off, if you could have worked on any television show in history, what would it have been and what would you have done on it? Okay. I should admit I'm a longtime listener of Breaking In. So I knew this question was coming. So I have prepared my answer. I feel like all the other interviewers are like, wait, what? I haven't thought about this. Meanwhile, I'm like so prepared. Uh, Okay, it's a tie between The Sopranos and Veronica Mars. And honestly, I think on The Sopranos, I would have loved to have been in the writer's room because it's probably one of the most complex series arcs that you could really get into with all the different moving pieces with the characters and just David Chase's vision for basically ending it without an ending. Mm. Like, ah, that's so awesome. And then also on Veronica Mars, I would have loved to have been probably on set actually, you know, maybe like a PA or a director's assistant uh, to see kind of all that new talent get developed uh, from Mm. Rob Thomas and Kristen Bell I don't know if you know that um, Aaron Paul is in an episode and um, Jessica Chastain is in an episode when they're super young up and coming. So it would have been super cool to have seen all of these emerging creators start there. That's awesome. I like those answers, even though they were prepared. And I'm sure you there's like a, a list somewhere. It's like, which, which ones am I going to say? <laughs> totally. There's totally a list. I'm a list person, listicle. <laughs> well, Claire, thank you so much. Thank you for your time and for um, for all you do for Series Fest because we wouldn't have been able to grow all of our programs without you and your passion and your your instincts and insight. So we love working with you and um, super grateful for all you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in for today's episode. SeriesFest is a nonprofit organization, and our work would not be possible without our incredible board of directors, staff, and partners who make programs like this podcast possible. We have ongoing competitions, initiatives, and mentorship programs year-round, so please check us out at SeriesFest.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to stay up-to-date on announcements. This episode was edited by Neil Trulio with original music by Adam Westbrook.